fitting for a day when the sermon is titled Stepping Into Your Yes. I can assure you that that illustration that you just witnessed and the things we heard about very briefly about the people that were standing up here is going to be a better illustration of what it means to follow God than the words that I will say. But it is part of our sermon series, and I do want to kind of lend my voice this morning. I'm Mike, by the way, one of the worship leaders here at the river, and I have not been here seven years. Uh, so that is incredible, Mandy and Chris, to hear of your service for that long. I've, I've only been serving here since, let's see, last summer. So I'm grateful to be part of one of the new ones, and uh, we'll look forward to learning more about the river through the new membership class. So if you're part of that, I hope to see you there. There's an old story about a time that a crowd gathered at Niagara Falls to witness a stunt take place. It was said that a man had stretched a wire from one end to the other over the falls and amazed the crowd by riding on his bike back and forth over that small wire. He did this a number of times but decided to make it even more exciting so he asked the crowd if he thought he could ride across the falls holding some items in his hand. He first held up a suitcase and an umbrella. He said, do you think I can make it over these falls holding these items? The crowd was already amazed at the things he was doing, so they said, yes, we believe you can. And he made his way over and back with the items in hand, no problem at all. Next, he picked up a violin and a bow, and he said, Do you think I can make it across these falls playing this violin? And they shouted back even louder, Yes, we've already seen what you can do. You can do this. We believe you can. And sure enough, while playing that violin and pedaling with his feet, he made it over and back. Finally, he picked up a chair, and he asked the crowd, Do you think I can ride across with somebody sitting in this chair, balanced, on my bike. Of course you understand what they, how they replied. They went wild and they whistled and they cheered even louder and they shouted, yes, we believe you can. We've already seen what you can do. And the man responded, all right, well if you believe, I need one of you to step up <laughs> and sit in this chair. How many do you think took that challenge and accepted that invitation? I can assure you, probably none. There seems to be a wide gap between what we say we believe and the things that we're actually willing to do to follow through. You see, just hearing an invitation is not the same thing as saying yes and stepping in to the new thing. We're currently in a sermon series uh, entitled Saying Yes to God's Invitations. And I've been reflecting this week on what that looks like for me. And what immediately came to mind is what some would call my salvation story. You may have one as well, especially if you grew up in the church. Well, that was the moment I accepted Christ to come into my heart. And for me, it happened when I was 11 years old. It was at a church camp. And on that Thursday night, they paused to give a really significant invitation to the kids that were gathered there. And I can remember saying yes to God that night, not so much with my words, but I remember that I gave God my heart and I was willing to step through that and it led me to where I am today. 
You see, that moment set in motion all these other yeses that began to fall in place, and it eventually led to me being in the ministry. Many years ago, I had a professor say something that has stuck with me even today. He said, there really is only one invitation, and it comes at our birth. I think that was significant for me. What he essentially was saying was that from the moment we are born, God is continually speaking to us and inviting us. Many times we say, where is God, or why is God silent, or I'm just waiting on God. But really, it's more true to know that God is waiting on us. I used to say that I accepted Christ when I was 11 at church camp, but now I know that God had been laying out invitations, both big and small, in those years before, and it was only when I was 11 that I was able to connect my heart with my head, and it made sense to me, and I stepped into that new reality. This morning, I'd like to share some things that I've learned about the nature of responding to God's invitations. And I first want to, at the start, just point out that there are other invitations in life, and we know this to be true. We call them worldly pleasures or negative influences. And while the divine call is continually beckoning, beckoning us, there's also that enticing pull that wants to draw us away from life and prosperity. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, the people of God heard the invitation very clearly. God said to them, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life. And this sounds to me more like a crossroad so that when we say yes to God, we are turning our back and saying no to all the other possibilities. So how can we know what is truly God's invitation? There are three stages that I see that move us through this process. When we're invited by the divine voice, I believe that a first thing that will happen for you is this internal crisis of belief. You are headed in one direction or you had one idea or belief in mind, but you have some experience that you're met with along the way, some bit of new information that causes you to think about another possibility, about another direction. And I shared some of this in a previous sermon about how I had some of these crises of beliefs when I first started seminary. My narrow worldview that I took with me as a young student into my seminary days was being challenged by professors that were asking some really bold questions, ones I didn't know we were allowed to ask as people of faith. But almost daily I was hearing something new that was challenging me, and it was exposing me to new ideas, new ways of seeing God, and new ways of seeing the world. And I didn't know it at the time, but that really was an invitation for me. I could step into this new journey, or I could simply just check my brain at the door in order to preserve the beliefs and the convictions that I grew up with. It was really a crossroads for me. Those days I look back and it feels like I was wrestling with God, this tug of war, and really it was just this war within, inside myself. I can remember coming home to Katie, my wife, who was not my wife. At, yeah, she was my wife at that time, sorry. <laughs> Thinking about the timeline. We got, we got married the last year of college, so we entered into seminary, newlyweds, which was also kind of crisis time. But anyway, <laughs> that's for another certain... <laughs> 
But I would say to Katie almost daily, I'd come in and say, you can't believe what I heard today. You can't believe the question that they're asking me today. Uh, and there was this sort of angst and this tension that I was going through at that time. But eventually, over those days and months, and even in the beginning couple years of, of that time in my life, it felt like this letting go of what was familiar and known and stepping in to something that was uncomfortable and unknown. And I was all the better for it. You see, before making any decisions about your response and saying yes to God, before you come down and are recognized by your church for the service that you are doing and you will do, there has to be this wrestling between your two ears and in your heart. You have to decide to leave the old self behind. You have to decide that the old way of thinking is not good enough anymore. And you have to walk into that new thing. Maybe for you it's a new job opportunity. It doesn't pay quite as well. But you know that if you do it, you're going to be more fulfilled in the work that you're doing. Maybe for you it's a physical move away from where you are, from what's familiar, from what's known, but you know it's the right thing to do. Maybe it's a decision to end a toxic relationship, or maybe it's to begin a new friendship. And all of these you sense in your spirit will lead you to health and happiness. But these can be scary propositions, can't they? Some of you may already know that the, the Chinese character which we translate into the, the English word crisis, at its very root means dangerous opportunity. I like that, dangerous opportunity. It sounds to me like trying to bike on a wire across Niagara Falls. Scary, tense, lots of questions of what if, but if you're willing, it leads, it can lead, it can be a doorway into something life-giving and truly wonderful. But I think many never experience that walking into that new thing that God's calling you to because they shrink back at the sight of tension or that feeling in their spirit of tension. And maybe this is just permission from me today in my own experience. Because maybe you, like me, grew up thinking and being taught that there has to be some kind of congruence with the rest of my life, some kind of peaceful feeling. As soon as I say yes for God, everything falls in place. One foot in front of the other, everything feels peachy. But really, if we even take a quick look at Scripture, that's not what's going on. You see, in the Old Testament, God's people had to endure oppressive exile before they reached the Promised Land. We're talking generations. This is not just a bad weekend. And consider that all of the disciples, nearly all the disciples, I think except for one that I'm recalling, was murdered at the end of their ministry dangerous opportunity and where would the church be today if it wasn't for the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus we're going through this season of Lent right now and maybe our minds are constantly drawn back to Jesus in front of Pontius Pilate going through that and then eventually ending up on the cross well the New Testament church only grows because it experiences this reality it calls them to the fullness of God's kingdom walking through that dangerous opportunity. It was in these moments of crisis that God, that allowed God's people to take huge leaps forward and it wasn't all pie in the sky. 
I believe that there's some form of internal dissonance that takes place and it's not always bad. Don't turn your back on that. Don't brush it away, but maybe lean into it. I know when I feel it, I now kind of ask myself, what do I need to learn or see in all this? What new thing needs to be birthed in my life before I just dismiss it? So the day will come after you've had this crisis of belief when you will be ready to put one foot in front of the other and act on your decision. You see, saying yes requires action, not just agreeing to a possibility. It requires a rearranging, a transitioning, a movement forward. And the Apostle Paul knew this. Can you think of a more dramatic transition than what Paul experienced in his own life? Before his name changed, he was Saul, a most zealous persecutor of Christians. He writes in his letter to the Galatians, listen to these words, You have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God, and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for my traditions of my fathers. You see, Paul was climbing up the ladder of importance. He was making a name for himself. But he was met on the road to Damascus by Christ in the form of a blinding light. This was Saul's invitation. In Acts chapter 9, we read, he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, where are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. So Saul got up off the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and they brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. The story would go on that later God sends Ananias to visit Saul. And Ananias, kind of like we almost did this morning, laid hands on Saul. And something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Saul would eventually become Paul in his new identity as a servant of God. And he helped to spread the news of God's kingdom everywhere. And his main point was that this salvation is for both Jews and also Gentiles. Can you imagine the crisis of belief in Paul's head as he went through this conversion? Talk about a 180. But God needed somebody like Paul to approach the Gentiles and the kings and even the people of God to attest to God's name and authority in only the way Paul could do it. When the time had come, Paul had done all the internal wrestling, but he was ready to go public with his yes. So he brought Titus with him as an example and went to confront the leaders of the church. Paul was just as zealous as a disciple as he was a persecutor of the church. It says the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. It was built up and increased in numbers because of the ministry Paul was doing. In a way, I like to think about it in modern terms. We really sit here in free worship on this Sunday morning because Paul didn't just consider the idea of saying yes, but he actually walked into it, and he took the steps necessary. 
Okay, so let's review. The movement into something new is often accompanied by a crisis of belief within yourself. Then we're ready to act on that yes and make it public. public. And then thirdly, there will many times be a crisis that happens as you live out your yes. After you've wrestled internally and gotten to the point that you are walking in this new thing, there may be a sense that the crisis is behind you, but oftentimes there's a second crisis that occurs. People around you may not accept what you're doing. They may cause you to question yourself, and this might even be your own family. Anybody been there where your family doesn't quite get the thing that you're doing? I think I saw a hand, yes. You see, this invitation at this point is still in the dangerous opportunity stage because old habits die hard and will work to try to regain its position in your life. I like to think of the analogy of running a race, if you, there are any runners out there. It's said that for most, most athletes during running a race, there's a point where you hit a wall, and that happens really at a critical point where you need to go further, but your body is telling you to stop. And this is felt physically, uh, for one, because your body is running low on blood sugar levels. And as that begins to drop, your body wants to give up. But it's just as much, and maybe even, Siri. I'll be preaching to her later. She needed me to repeat that. Maybe she's speaking on your behalf. Do you mean to say that again? So physical, but also mental. Your brain wants to say, okay, you've done enough. I'm kind of done with this thing you're putting me through. It's not worth it, really. But once you're able to overcome this mental barrier, many athletes can run for miles and miles and miles beyond that wall, which is just an amazing feat for me. I had a similar crisis when I was younger. When I was 16, I was invited to live with my uncle in Texas for a semester in school. I was still in high school, obviously, at that time. My family was living in Virginia and my uncle had just moved from Virginia to go to Texas to attend theological seminary. And I was very close to my uncle. This is my mom's brother at that time. He was more kind of like a father figure to me. My parents had divorced by that point. And my uncle, who was only 10 years older than me, kind of felt like a father figure to me. And my mom during that time was sensing that I was kind of having this call to ministry. I was getting involved in leading worship um, I, I was kind of asking the right questions about God, what God had for me next. And she kind of sensed in her spirit this was an opportunity that I might could take advantage of, even though it was hard for her. And so I made the move to Texas. It was exciting, but also scary. Everything that I knew, everything that I felt secure in, even being with my own family, I was literally leaving behind at a young age. And many of my friends questioned the move. And honestly, my, my family did as well. Not only extended family, but my brothers. They sent me with their blessings, but there was that sort of, what are you doing? Is this the right thing to do? And I felt like it was a dangerous opportunity that could be the start of something new. So as a long-haired hippie from Virginia Beach, I went to Caltown, Fort Worth, Texas and attended a high school for a semester where I was a stranger 
And that season was filled with a lot of internal crisis that I was working through. And once I made the move, that continued on. I eventually got involved in a local church youth group praise band playing the guitar. And my wife was playing keyboard. She wasn't my wife at the time. <laughs> but we were forced to share music on our little stage. So I stood behind her and played guitar while she played the keyboard. Some of you have met Katie. She's not here this morning. She has a, her best friends in town, so she's spending the weekend with her. But long story short, that move eventually led me to pursue a degree in church music and then on into going into seminary where I studied to be a pastor and also a worship leader. Stepping into that invitation helped me meet my wife, which I feel like that might not have happened otherwise. And I met some lifelong friends that I carry with me even to this day. You see, this path is not a yellow brick road for many people. Uh, stepping into God's yes, many times that movement is punctuated by moments of crisis and uncertainty. And that path can be hazy and it can be tempting to turn back. But I found that there's a reward in staying with it and not letting those other voices steer you in another direction. In a moment, I want to invite us to sing this song, Oceans. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail, and there I find you in the mystery. In oceans deep, my faith will stand. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. I like that song for many reasons, but one, I like that it draws on that imagery of what Peter was going through. Do you remember the story of Peter being called out onto the water? Jesus is visiting the disciples one stormy evening, and he walks out to visit them on the water while they were in a boat. And Peter wants to know if it's really him, so he says, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. Jesus gives the invitation, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water to Jesus. And it's only when Peter fixates on the waves and that dangerous wind that he begins to sink. You see, Jesus knew that Peter was prone to fear and distrust. Peter kind of had a track record of that. But Jesus was wanting to build a new church on this rock, on Peter. Peter needed to know that if that was going to happen, if Peter was going to become the rock, he had to keep his eyes on Christ. I think Christ's message to us is the same for Peter. To move forward in trust and don't give in to your fears. Because sometimes when we step into God's yes, we are going to be challenged to wrestle with our belief and we are going to oscillate between our faith and our fears. But Christ is there ever before us, always inviting us to come, to step out. May we say yes. In closing, I'd like to offer some practical suggestions because I feel like this, this thing, this stepping into God's invitation is really more like abstract art than exact science. So these are some thoughts that I had. First, use Philippians 4.8 as criteria when you're just not sure if an invitation is of God. It says, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, 
think on these things. And if you don't want to know what God longs for, it's this list of things. God will not call you to do something that is outside of these values. So it's a good place to start. Secondly, keep in mind that many times your yes will have ripple effects that benefit others, not just yourself. Would the, the Christian church ever have gotten off the ground if Paul didn't renounce his old ways and turn instead to follow God? Know that your stepping into God's invitation can benefit so many around you and that just adds to the importance of hearing God and acting out in faith. That's not to add pressure on getting the decision right, but I think it ensures us that we play a part in other people's story, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Also, I believe that God blesses the person over the choice. I used to put so much pressure on myself as a younger person to get the decision right. Is this God? Am I doing the right thing? But as I've gotten older, I just have come to believe that there are wide margins. And even when I get it wrong, I make... I choose the wrong way. <clears throat> it's somehow beautifully woven into this beautiful fabric of the journey. You know, I think of that song, how you make beautiful things out of the dust. That's really on God, not so much us. God is ready, full of grace, to take our decisions and weave that into a beautiful tapestry if we'll let him. Lastly, I want to say that we should be thankful in knowing that you are invited to be a part of this ongoing creation. Making choices is stressful enough, but take joy that God entrusts you with creation and the unfolding with it. I feel, feel like that's really the good news, that we get to partner with God in this. This brings a lot of responsibility, but I feel like it should also invigorate us for the journey ahead. So lean into that. Don't be afraid to get it wrong. God is there to bless you along the way. You'll become wiser as you go. There's always an abundance of grace. And may it be so. Let's close in prayer. God, in your wisdom, you know all the possibilities of our future. And you are there. May we move into the unknown, giving less attention to our fears and more trust for a life of faith. Like Peter, you call us out onto the waters. May we respond by keeping our eyes on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. You are constantly calling to us with words of invitation. Give us ears to hear that call and give us hearts to discern what is of you. And when we gain any reward in this life, may we be sure to give you the glory first. That's really our prayer. Walk with us as we sense where you are leading. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen.